Welcome to the Shrieking Shack. I'm ZC. And I'm Liz. And we've finished the first book, but uh, the end is not quite here for Sorcerer's Stone yet because um, it was a... We're, we're skipping ahead a few years, technically, I guess, but Sorcerer's Stone, the movie, kind of kicked off like what I would call like the modern craziness of like Harry Potter fandom. Would you agree with that? This is kind of where it all started. Yeah. The, the craze for sure. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is 2001 is, is kind of the, the zone we're operating in here. This is when the film came, came out. This is when these, uh, some wonderful video games came out. This is when Coca-Cola, um, made a $150 marketing deal with, uh, with warner brothers uh like this is when shit starts getting weird um and we have immersed ourselves in the products of of this beautiful year 2001 the year where nothing went wrong um <laughs> uh and uh we, we we played uh sorcerer's stone or you know harry potter the sorcerer's stone for the game boy color for the game boy advance and finally the playstation one uh, and we have some thoughts on these games. Uh, Liz, would you like to take it away with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the Game Boy Advance? Yeah, so I, when I uh, downloaded this game, I mean, purchased it. Yeah, we purchased all of these games legally and played them on real hardware um, and didn't cheat. Okay, to be fair... I have in the past owned these games, so I feel like mm-hmm. yeah, um, I own I own at least one of these. Yeah, well, the thing is, is I owned the Game Boy Color one. That was the one that I played as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the Game Boy games were the same. I thought the Game Boy Advance game was just going to be the Game Boy Color game, but like better uh, graphics, or better something. graphics, I guess, or. You know, because I was like, no way, no way they made this game three times, like three separate times, three separate stories. But boy, did they. Mm. I can't believe it. And I, you know, fired up the Game Boy Advance one and I was I played some kind of horrible hybrid of like a Golden Sun style, like environmental puzzles game (laughs) and i guess like sort of zelda style action adventure game i it was very challenging i didn't i didn't make it all the way through i have to have to confess that we we neither of us made it so yeah we're we all ran into some some things with all of these games here but the game boy advance one i was looking at and like it so 2001 was like the year the game boy advance came out i think and I can't help but, like, imagine f- making the same mistake we did and assuming that they were, like, the same game. Because the Game Boy <laughs> Color game, for what it's worth, is not bad. It's pretty good. It's, like, a decent, like, RPG. And it's, like, a creative thing to do with the Harry Potter license. And I imagine, like, you're a kid in 2001 and you just got a Game Boy Advance. You're going to want the Game Boy Advance game, right? And then you get whatever the fuck this thing is where you have to move eggs around. Oh my god. I I have a little bit of a grudge against the uh, I think it was just a Game Boy Advance thing and it was the like environmental puzzles where you're moving like logs around and pressing switches and uh I like 
and the the difficulty isn't based on the puzzle being difficult. The difficulty is based on you only being able to see a small like screen at a time, right? Like you like you have like a, a horrible egg thing that you have to move onto a switch that's five screens away, and you have to figure out how to like move the logs in a certain <laughs> way to block the egg and like move it down the path. So you, I, I remember playing Golden Sun, and I would sit down with a map and I would like try to draw like where it all needs <laughs> to be like pushed and i i think so i started playing this game i did the first like few of these puzzles myself like and was re redoing them and and figured them out and uh in the last stretch of playing the game i just looked up a walkthrough <laughs> who gives a shit you know yeah who cares and like what a weird thing to turn harry potter into i guess like rpg can totally see it uh mm -hmm. this weird bad zelda hybrid thing don't know where they got that idea from don't know where they got the like the puzzles all involve rolling logs gnomes and like these weird egg plant these giant eggs and <laughs> my my favorite part from harry potter and the sorcerer's stone uh is when he has to move a giant egg like what the fuck where did this come from this had to have been some other game that they had like ready to go and then they turned into harry potter or something that was that's my theory here yeah i i don't even think the game is that bad you know like it i i will say this for i think I, both the Game Boy Advance game and the PlayStation game is that they work. And honestly, yes. for like licensed, like media franchise type games, that kind of is more this, than I expected. Yeah, from this era, especially, uh, I guess these seem relatively polished, except for. So I played the Game Boy Color one, um, which mm -hmm. was actually pretty good. Like I was having a good time with it. It's got very. I would say charming sprite art. I wouldn't call it good. <laughs> it's definitely charming. Um, and it's like a JRPG and like it, it just has some weird quirks. Like there's no, this is clearly a JRPG made by people who love JRPGs, but don't necessarily have a lot of experience with them. I would say because there's weird shit like, there's no miss mechanic. It's just that everything has a chance to hit for zero, which is just <laughs> frustrating as fuck. Um, uh, and I believe items also have a chance to hit for zero because I definitely like ate a healing item once and it healed me for zero and I died, which was great. Um, yeah, that sure sounds like a kind of a bad coding problem, like a, a weird <laughs> oversight. <laughs> yeah. Um but the problem I had was uh, you get to Hogwarts and for one thing, it's fucking huge, like kind of impressive for a Game Boy Color thing. Honestly, it's like mm -hmm. like multiple floors. It's like it's like if Pokemon threw you into like Celadon City like immediately or something like it's <laughs> very big. Um, and I had to do a fetch quest. So I, I had to, first of all, I had to find Gryffindor Tower, which is not as easy as it sounds. It's a huge map and nothing's labeled. So I had to like walk around this bizarre castle for a while. Uh, instead, 
this movie this game actually has a very imaginative take on hogwarts where each floor has like a theme so there's like an egyptian themed floor for some reason and then the oh, Gryffindor. What? yeah there's like an egyptian themed floor um and then the gryffindor tower is in this room that just has a giant orb floating in the middle so they had a wild read on hogwarts here <laughs> um but to get into the gryffindor common room you need the password and then to find the password oh that's the other thing so like to find gryffindor tower it doesn't tell you where it is and there's nothing labeled and if you talk to npcs they just give you these vague clues and i found professor mcgonagall and like i asked where is gryffindor tower and she just said look up not down i'm like fuck you tell me where it is you're in my like why are you doing this to me um anyway you get there you talk to the portrait you need the password you need to go talk to nearly headless nick and he sends you all the way back downstairs to get him an item from a gargoyle that's in the first room and so i did that got the item and then got back and then it bugged out and i couldn't give it to him so don't know if this is just a bug with my very legal copy of a game on a very real game boy or if this is a known bug but that's kind of where i had to stop um but very creative game uh the first dungeon is gringotts the second dungeon is uh you have to walk underneath the castle to get to the castle after the like lake sequence it's very fucking weird but it wasn't <laughs> like terrible or anything it like it's one of these things that like I, i'm sure at the time this would have been a game that probably like got a bunch of kids into rpgs probably which is kind of cool to think about like surely this was a lot of kids first big rpg thing and that, that's cute yeah, definitely. I um I I played that one as a kid. I don't I don't remember it at all. I I think that um I don't think it was the scarf quest that you got stuck on, but I'm pretty sure that when I played it, I I don't know if it was just because I was a dumb kid, but I got stuck somewhere and couldn't keep going, or the game soft locked, or or something. Um, but I always I always felt like these licensed games were a little bit of like a a trap like i like a like a grandparent trap is how i would describe them uh -huh. because as, as like a kid i was big into video games right like i and so when my grandparents would ask my parents like like what is what is liz like to do and my parents would say oh well she, she loves like video games and then they go to target and you know ask ask the, the the person and they're like oh well this harry potter game and you know the grandparents pick it out for you um and i remember just being like pleasantly surprised with this game more so than other of those games like i think right. that i i got like a mary kate and ashley game or oh the, wait the mary, the mary kate and ashley game boy color game is fucking hilarious from what i remember i think yeah. there's like yeah there's that's a notorious one but yeah uh -huh. no these, these are totally a um yeah, these are these are gift bait. These are not especially at the time like 2001. I don't think I don't think there had been like a big well-regarded. Oh, no, I guess Goldeneye. But that came out so much later than the movie. So I don't know if that counts like like just like movie tie in games were not for the longest time. That was sort of like the running joke with game stuff, you know, like like that. Yeah, was, that was just a sign that it was going to be bad. Um, and yeah, yeah, so for what it, for what it's worth, I don't think the Game Boy Color one is terrible. Like it's pretty cute. Um, uh, it's at least creative. I don't know about the Game Boy Advance one. I was looking at some videos of that and I don't know if I would I don't know if I'd call that one good. It works it's really though. difficult, I would say, like and the difficulty doesn't come from any place that's good. Um. I, I think the most painful part that I played through was um, 
a stealth sequence and similar similar to the uh the game boy color game hogwarts is enormous in this game like i think there are seven floors for hogwarts and and um gryffindor tower is at the top but there's like a secret passage um uh through a bookcase or something um but there's a stealth sequence and it's um like very kind of this like story like plot point where harry goes and um tries to duel draco the midnight duel Mm -hmm. um it's very funny because ron's like it's time for your duel harry and um harry says like stay behind ron i don't want you to get hurt um and (laughs) you just have like a vision circle and you have to climb down the like five or so floors to get to draco malfoy and it's endless absolutely endless and there are switches and you can't see shit and it's i you know i'm playing this on an emulator so i have save states right if you get caught by anyone you start over like it puts you you know back on the seventh floor um if i had been a kid at this time there's no way i would have gotten through this no way it just (laughs) these games seem padded i think that's the like i feel this way about all three of these games like they definitely feel like oh god the movie's coming out we need to make a game it needs to have content uh we've got like the the way the quidditch games pop up in the ps1 game like just randomly like here's some content do this please and then like (laughs) game boy color game uh the enemy encounters so like the they're you it's not random but it might as well be because the enemies that you walk into respawn immediately after you defeat them so you can't like clear a room they're just always there and so the game is sluggish enough that you will trip up and like hit one that you're not aiming for (laughs) as you're walking and so you're just like endlessly fighting these enemies um Oh, and I forgot to mention that uh, Draco Malfoy is a boss fight at the beginning on the train, and it's hilarious. Oh, do you fight him with spells? Uh, yeah, you you just have a straight up JRPG fight with him. That's where and that that's where the screen cap I sent you of him saying, "To prove there's no hard feelings, I'll teach you a spell." I'm like you you unlock spells <laughs> that Draco Malfoy teaches <laughs> you. Like you know the famous line from Draco Malfoy to Harry Potter: "No hard feelings." <laughs> like, no hard feelings, Harry. That's yeah, that's right there in the first book yeah Uh, they really took some creative liberties with the the characters for sure um i looked it up and both of the game boy games were made by the same developer wait really yeah they were both made by uh let's see uh griptonite games and they made in you know they they no longer exist um but they made just a ton of just licensed games like that was their thing right And the the one that I saw that was not a a license like uh you know other thing like an adaptation mm-hmm. kind of game was Assassin's Creed Two Discovery for the DS. Oh, so hmm. I never played the DS one. I do like Assassin's Creed Two, but uh, huh. Well, if you're a fan of their work, yeah, I've got to check it this, out. Well, and and you know what Assassin's Creed is known for is stealth sequences. So I bet, <laughs> I bet they took what they learned from from Harry Potter. And <laughs> oh boy, yeah. But uh, but then 
so we, we play these handheld games which you know nice not not the worst not uh but not remarkable i would say in in any direction but then we played uh the sorcerer's stone game for the playstation and <laughs> that is a that's a video game uh I don't even really know where to start with this one because it's there's so much like I feel like honestly we we could and should do a whole episode on this game or like a, a you know like a stream or a let's play or something because it is bonkers and like the, there's there are you know it's it's known for the like goofy looking faces like that sort of became a a, a meme for a while <laughs> but I don't think anyone has really dived into just how nuts the actual game is like like what was your first impression of this thing i would say so i you know i had been playing the game boy game earlier that day um and my first impression i guess as i started playing the playstation game was that it was fun Mm -hmm. honestly i like i had fun playing this game um whereas I was not with the others. Um, it is a surreal experience. I I really enjoyed the early 3D. Was this was this late in the PlayStation's life cycle? This was really late because 2001, the PlayStation had already been out for like a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, so this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this would have been a very late period PlayStation game. Uh, and like clearly one that was put on the playstation one i'm assuming because they 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 figured that like more kids would have that and the playstation 2 that early in its life cycle because the ps2 would have been like way expensive at this point whereas like tons of kids probably still had the old console is kind of my guess behind the logic here yeah that makes sense um no i i like this game it's (laughs) i i would hesitate to call it like well made but it is a truly surreal experience like the game has barely any music like (laughs) every now and then a little musical flourish will play when you like walk into a room but for the most part it's playing like spooky castle like sound effects as you're walking around this completely empty uh hogwarts and it it has like like between that and the creepy faces it just has this vibe of like haunted this thing feels dark-sided and haunted yeah i i would say so i i think i said as we were playing it i you know that there's a a a vibe that harry potter has for a lot of people where it's like oh i would love to go to hogwarts like that's a huge part of the appeal right it's like everyone wants to get their wizard letter and go to hogwarts uh this game did not capture that you're in a haunted house and it's um it's wild like okay you you get to hogwarts and like instead of there being like a big ceremony and a great hall with a speech dumbledore just walks up to you and says like don't go to the third floor for- corridor unless you want to die a horrible death. Like that's just what he, <laughs> he leads off with. Um, then you run into Ron whose face is all like melting and you like walk into the room where Draco Malfoy makes a joke about your dead parents. Uh, Neville is there and like looks like the, the creepy statue from Majora's mask. It's just, 
the vibe is so off in this game and it is and like i don't know it's one of those things where i can't tell whether it would have felt like this at the time or if it's just like with the hindsight of like what early 3d looks to us like looks like to us now that's just making it weird but it just like this if you told me this was a fan game that like was discovered on the internet years later i would probably believe you like this doesn't have the feel of an official product because it like barely anything from the movie or even the book is like in here it just like tenuously ties together a few of the plot points as it sends you through this like bizarre dungeon crawl like the entire game is like it's almost like a metroid thing honestly because you like go you keep going back to like the main hall and then like going going off into like these little discrete areas that like loop back into different places of the castle like from that perspective it's kind of impressive um it's a little less impressive that uh they couldn't think of anything more creative to do than like here's the plant level here's the fire level i, I think the weirdest thing about this game is you know we, we were just finishing playing like the game boy games and there's a level of like i understand why they would not connect these games to the plot at all when it's a Game Boy game like all the the quests and the missions that you have to do in the Game Boy games are very bare bones you know it's like okay you're going to you know potions class collect the five stars right like it's very like video gamed yeah um in that way and then you go to the PlayStation game where ostensibly they would have more freedom in like a 3D environment and with the technology they had to uh, be more faithful to the movie and yet somehow it's less. Yeah, it's the the first fight you have with Draco Malfoy, he's just throwing dynamite at you or wizard card. <laughs> like he's throwing dynamite at you and you have to pick it back up and throw it back at him. <laughs> like it, it has this yeah like nightmare funhouse vibe like the uh the the ghosts just sort of appear and like there there's the guy impersonating john cleese playing playing nearly headless nick who's like your tutorial guy and he just sort of comes up here like this and starts talking about harry potter you have to climb the tower and it's like it's it's stressful it's super fucking weird and like yeah and there's also just no it's silent like silent except for just like (laughs) like like you know in you know in ocarina of time when you first get the master sword and you go out to hyrule castle town and they're like all the music's gone and it's just like (laughs) like that's this what this entire game feels like like this entire like i would not be surprised one bit if you turned a corner in this game and a Rita jumped on you and screamed like it's 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 just got that vibe to it it's also um the the Hogwarts feels less populated than like the Game Boy games like it's just empty and it's just it feels surreal as you're like walking through on the way to your next quest and then there's just like an empty outdoor area with just a well in the middle and there's just like one student and he's like oh Harry, I dropped my kitten down the well. You know me, <laughs> Raymond. And yeah, it's, it's me. It's me, so Raymond. Bizarre. Or like, like you, you do all this shit. Like you, you, I. Okay, just to describe one of the quests in this game. Um, <laughs> 
you go into this this like room and there's these four chittering eyeball monsters that are swirling around a locked door. Uh, and nearly headless, Nick, nearly headless Nick appears and is like, "Oh, Harry! Oh, they've put a curse on the door, and you've got to, you got to go find the jinxes." And like, then you go through this like Dark Souls looking world where like the furniture's all floating, and there's like empty suits of armor fighting you. And the walls are all twisted and you have to like jump around corners to find these horrible eyeball monsters that are just doing this like demonic laugh. And you have to, <laughs> and you, have to you have to knock those over to open the door. And then the reason you did that was to go to potions class. Like this was how you got to class. Like, <laughs> like th this wasn't anything about like, I don't know like oh professor quirrell's doing some shit and put a jinx on the store it's like oh this is just how you get to class in hogwarts or like every class has like a little puzzle that you have like a timer as the professor like silently stands there watching you <laughs> like jump over these platforms to get to their class like holy shit calm down like yeah I, and it's it's really funny because you're doing all this stuff like uh, there's like a long like platforming quest where you have to go get a sloth brain for snape so that he oh can even conduct his class listening uh, to the voice actors say like oh you have the sloth brain like i felt like i was going bonkers like like <laughs> <laughs> everything involving the sloth brain broke my mind i think that the like great part about that is they're like the levels are pretty long, I like I would say, and you're so yeah. like, okay, you've got to go and get the sloth braid, and there are these like horrible like sack monsters that you have to lure over vents in the ground to to do the platforming puzzle, and then you finish the quest, you've forgotten why you were doing it because it's to go to potions class or whatever, and then Hermione like will appear randomly and remind you some like plot point. Yeah, that it has nothing to like it's not you've forgotten you're playing a sorcerer's stone game and so she just appears and is like i bet that the you know stolen object is on the third floor and you're just like i had completely forgot i'm playing a harry potter game i forgot <laughs> everything about sorcerer's stone you know well, i just fought a gargoyle i it's so yeah, weird it's like i i keep making the dark souls comparison but there's a lock on in this game and like the best tactic <laughs> in the game is to lock on and strafe like it, it, and there's just this part where you fight this like pig gargoyle thing in in a like medieval courtyard and the health bar is at the bottom like a dark souls boss like i was seriously tripping out playing that stuff also like in regards like forgetting it's a harry potter game like the levels are so long when i got to the sloth brain and like it was just a <laughs> brain that was like floating on a tree stump i felt like i was losing my mind like like <laughs> you just pick up a brain like it's a fully rendered 3d textured brain that you just walk up to and like hold up in the air like it's zelda like hooray you got the brain like it's so and it's great because it's that like the playstation style collectible graphic where they float on platforms with like sparkles and like rotate mm -hmm. slowly around it's it's great um should we talk about our gamer shame oh yeah yeah the gamer shame uh you're you're referring to gringotts right uh-huh because um another like part where you just totally forget you're playing sorcerer stone um earlier in the game you have a quest to collect fire seeds 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you go into the, the lava level, of course. Um, and you bring Hagrid the fire seeds that he asked you to bring him. And he's like, oh, these are for Norbert. Um, <laughs> later on in the game, he shows up and says, Norbert's sick. We got to go to Diagon Alley. <laughs> <laughs> and you go to <laughs> you go to Gringotts. Like, okay, first of all, Norbert, I guess, just like isn't the problem in the game that he is in the book. Like, he's just he's just, just chilling sick. um then you go to Diagon Alley. so first of all you get to gringotts the goblins tell you that like to withdraw money you need to file some paperwork and the way you file paperwork <laughs> is it's an ice level basically where you're slipping around and they've just polished the floor <laughs> and so you have to like do this like spyro ass level where you have to like scoot around the the level and pick up uh the paperwork while the time time limit's going but then this is our gamer shame um next is a mine cart level i nearly said minecraft level not mine cart level um where not only is it a mine cart level it is a minecart level where the minecart can rotate 360 degrees like you're playing Tempest. <laughs> and you have to like this is how you withdraw your money. You have to spin around and collect the money and also avoid obstacles. It is impossible. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Yep. Uh, we looked online and there are some amazing forum posts from like 2002 of people who couldn't do it it is a nightmare like it, it flashes these arrows and stuff on the screen to you that as far as i can tell mean absolutely nothing i i think from what i could understand is like the green arrows meant like coins coming up and then the red arrows were like danger coming up but like for the green ones you have to go toward them and the red ones you have to go away from yeah, and it just like breaks your brain because you're also just like have full like 360 rotation in this like two person it's it's also if you're picturing like a mine cart that's on a track that's not no what's it, it looks like something from six flags like <laughs> you're, you're in like this chair that has a pole going between it that's on a track and you swing it around like it's it's so i was so baffled and like yeah you, you need to pick up like do you need to pick up every coin or just like most know. of them i don't it's, know i i did so bad i i did this like a few times but it was like two in the morning i was like i just can't i can't do yeah. this anymore um i it looked like so your like progress bar was a stack of coins in the upper right hand side. And then mm-hmm. once you, and then there were three like empty coins to the right of that. And it was yeah. like, once you picked up a stack, it would fill in one of the coins. And I don't know if you had to fill all three, but I think I got uh two one time. Yeah. The best I could do was two. And that like, wasn't enough for the, for the goblin to let me go. It It's a nightmare. We'll have to get our APM up and, and give this another whirl because like this game this almost feels like a lost treasure to me in that like uh-huh. i like again the faces have been a meme for a while but i think the entire game kind of deserves to be like archived i guess because it's just fucking surreal top to bottom it is like i i wouldn't call it like it it doesn't seem like a good harry potter game but it sure is a 
interesting thing a interesting game to experience yeah i have i have a lot of interest in or like early 3d games and this mm-hmm. one um i think i think was something special honestly like i it it was so strange i i loved that it was harry potter and also not at all but i enjoyed it i i think that i'll probably finish it at some point um I'll have to I'll have to figure out how to get past the mine the minecart level. Yeah, we should we should try and get past it because we should. This seems like a good candidate for something to to revisit in in greater depth because it's just it's just fucking insane. It's great and not not good, but it is great. I guess is how I would say it. Say uh, this game goes. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, looked up the developer on this game as well, um, and let me find their name real quick. Uh, they no longer exist, but this was made by Argonaut Software, and they are known, mostly known for one other game, and you're never in a million years going to guess what it is. Argonaut. Um, I know <laughs> that that rings a bell. Argonaut. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'll give you a hint, and it was a Super Nintendo game. Why do I know Argonaut? Um, okay, I can't remember. What, what did Argonaut make? Argonaut made Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Totally. Yeah. 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 Isn't that weird? Uh, Star Fox for the Super Nintendo was the first video game I ever played when I was three years old. So I thought that was interesting. That's that kind of explains a lot of this game, but also not really like it explains the weird 3D because obviously (laughs) that's their that's their thing. Um, Yeah. It doesn't explain why the flying is so fucking bad because right? they've made good flying games before. The thing is, is that they could make a good flying game in 2D, but they right. couldn't make one in 3D. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was interesting. That's yeah. That's and that's surprising. Neat. And surprising. What a what a fun fact. But yeah, we we will revisit this game. Uh, it is it is a treasure. I hope that the Chamber of Secrets game is just as fucking weird. Me too. Yeah. Uh, this game was, so we didn't cover, because it's technically not in the right um, year range, I guess. Uh, this game was also made for the GameCube and uh, Xbox and PlayStation 2, but it's like a, a remake of this game with like new graphics and stuff. And I don't know. Ooh. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I don't know if this would hold up without the weird ass visuals so i'll i'll do some research into that and see like if there's anything notable about that game at all um but yeah that came out in like 2003 because there was a there was a gap year um in the marketing because of uh uh prisoner of azkaban taking longer because uh it goes 2001 sorcerer stone movie 2002 chamber of secrets and then they moved to like an 18 month production cycle so harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban came out in like may of 2004 so hmm. 2003 was like this weird dumping ground for like okay we ported the first harry potter game here's the quidditch world cup game just just a bunch of stuff to like make up for the fact that there was no movie bringing money in i guess that year (laughs) but speaking of the movie we did watch harry potter and the sorcerer's stone we sure did and uh this is this is a whole thing so I, i i took some notes here just kind of set the stage for you know what what exactly happened with this film Uh um so jk rowling sold warner brothers the rights to the first four books uh for a million pounds in 1999 which i that's it 
Yeah. See, that to me does not sound like much for the first four books. Like that seems like she got ripped off there. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but here's here's the part that I found most interesting. Originally, uh, Steven Spielberg was going to direct and wanted to make it an animated like a CG movie. Uh, oh, with- with Haley Joe Osment as the as Harry Potter and also wanted to squish all the books together into one movie. Like he just wanted to make like a movie called Harry Potter CGI with Haley Joe Osment. Um wow. which sounds like Can a nightmare. Can you imagine? Like what a fucking nightmare that movie would have been, right? Like he sure doesn't think so. He has a quote here which I can see why he didn't direct this movie because this is his quote about it. It was like shooting ducks in a barrel. It's just a slam dunk. It's like withdrawing a billion dollars and putting it into your personal bank account. There's no challenge. Uh, what the (laughs) fuck? Like, yeah, that's, that's the pitch I want to hear from a director is yeah, it's fucking easy. Uh, I'm going to make a billion (laughs) dollars. This sucks. (laughs) Like, um, am I wrong or did they not make a series of unfortunate events? movie that squished a bunch of the books into one movie i believe they did i believe the source series of unfortunate events movie squished like the first two or three books in the one right and it was had like jim carrey in it or something yeah yeah i I don't know what year that would have been but it's interesting to me that uh because right now we're living in the world where the hobbit movie gets to be three movies for one mm-hmm. book and it's funny to me to look back at a time where it was like okay we'll just do the first four harry potter <laughs> books in one movie yeah well i think i think like just to put this into like historical context i think this was kind of before studios were really into like having big fantasy franchises because this is mm. the same 2001 um is also when lord of the rings came out and like lord Mm. of the rings would have been in production at the same time these harry potter discussions were going on and i think they also were trying to do like the studio new line or whatever originally wanted harry um excuse me lord of the rings to be two movies and not three uh they also wanted them to squish it together and i think it was like lack of confidence or something like they just said (laughs) like look it's a big dorky movie no one's gonna go see it you know make fewer and I, I guess that was probably the logic behind the Harry Potter thing. And then Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, I would say, and this isn't necessarily like their fault. It's just like, this is how, how it went down. But like, in the same way that like Call of Duty 4 ruined video games, even though it was pretty good, <laughs> like these movies kind of ruined movies for a while because everyone tried to make the, make the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Spielberg, uh i i can't imagine why they wouldn't have hired him but like i feel like saying it's it's a slam dunk it's shooting fish in a barrel i'm gonna make a billion dollars probably isn't the most genius thing to say while you're pitching a movie um terry gilliam and m night Shyamalan were also uh tipped to direct at one point uh, oh. i would have loved to have seen terry gilliam honestly like that would have been good i think uh the monty python guy he made brazil he makes surreal movies that would have been cute i think and i would Shyamalan. love to see m night Shyamalan with the the great coral twist at the end <laughs> oh shit that's right it has a it has a twist right there for him maybe that's why well, he was interested yeah voldemort was in his head the whole time holy shit literally that would have been great yeah um but then chris columbus was picked uh the quote on the wiki says that the the producers were uh were uh in 
happy with uh, Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire, which were his like two previous big movies, which I don't know why those are the movies. I guess like Home Alone, he was working with kids, but like Mrs. You don't who looks at Mrs. Doubtfire and goes, that guy can make a Harry Potter movie like, I don't know. Yeah, his whole his whole filmography is like uh, kind of comedy kids movies, right? Yeah. I would describe like we'll get into Chris Columbus later. Yes, for uh, sure. I would describe him as a mercenary director. That's kind of my the vibe I get from him. He will just take yeah. whatever. He will just morph to whatever the project needs. Um, mm-hmm. So it was filmed in England, obviously all on location. J.K. Rowling demanded that all the cast be British or Irish, which makes sense, I guess. Um so while they were filming in the UK, they had to get child labor laws changed uh, so they could actually film it. Um, so that's where, if you remember um, in that uh, special we were watching, they said that they like had the school like on set, basically. Yeah, uh, yep. Normally, I guess, like, like previous, prior to Harry Potter, like the schooling would have to take place at a certain time. This changed it. So it could be like whenever in the day, if they like needed to shoot at different times a day. So hmm. I, yeah. And it's just, so, it's the, the, the idea of like, like the way this is written in the, in the article that I was reading said that the British film, like officials went to them and said like, Oh, Hey, uh, we can hook you up with these locations and also change the law for you, which sounds a little skeezy, but what do I know? <laughs> um, yeah. I'd lo- love to change the law that's there to protect children too. support yeah. a, a big, a big fucking movie. Yeah. But Hey, the there's a lot of money. Too good. Yeah. All movie money coming in. So, um, yeah, so that's weird. Uh, there's a note here about how, one of the lines originally included had to be removed after J.K. Rowling told the director that it would, uh, or excuse me, told the screenwriter that it would directly contradict an event in the unreleased fifth novel, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I want to know what line, what line what did could that have been? Like, yeah, maybe there's, did like Dumbledore say something? About, no. Hmm. I was about to say, like, is it something about like Dumbledore saying he had a wife or something? And like, <laughs> like jk going no, nah but no no because that wasn't planned and it, also it's gotta be about the prophecy. i would assume that there was like a line in the hospital scene at the end where dumbledore says something regarding and... harry's nature with voldemort that is not true that's yeah. me, my guess that's gotta be it because she would have been writing the fifth book at the time so that makes mm-hmm. sense um it made 974 million uh and worldwide box office which at the time it was the second highest grossing movie aside from titanic uh and it got three oscar nominations best art direction best costume design and best original score and uh, yeah i could see those mm-hmm. uh when i saw that it was nominated for oscars i was like no fucking way but actually <laughs> those 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 make sense so that's the stage uh what did you think of the movie i thought it was fine yeah a capital f fine was sort of how i felt walking out of that yeah um it felt i i guess it felt really corny is how i would describe it yeah and but i guess I, that's I kind it. of I, it it is full of like the casting is perfect i think that that they the casting and like the first impression the movie makes with the dursley stuff is great like i <laughs> 
I I'm I'm on board, you know, or I'm I'm on record as saying that the Dursley chapters were my favorite in the book. Um, I wish we got more Dursley time in the movie because the problem with this movie is that it moves really fucking fast. Like this movie's three hours long, um, but it sure honestly didn't feel that long. It just like the plot just starts and doesn't stop. And there's no downtime in this movie. Um, the Dursley stuff is very, very well put together and well acted, even though like I've mentioned before that like I I feel like the kind of British rich person that they should like they didn't really show them as rich in this movie like they just seem like middle class whereas mm-hmm. in, in the books i always got the impression that they were sort of like british nouveau riche conservatives and would have been a little more um uh like i don't know what the, what the way to put it is the, mo- the movie really cast them like the movie reminds me of like my grandma's house or something where it's like sure like very rustic british garbage everywhere and like in a small brick house and stuff and like it's not what i imagined but like the acting is so good in in this stuff like i i didn't mind that much yeah the acting is great and i also just as a small aside i love i loved how ugly the interior of their house was yeah like like it, it's not what i picture but it is really well put together it's so ugly and like the colors are disgusting and <laughs> it works really well and it's just a shame that we don't get to spend much time there like it, it you we go like it starts with them going to the zoo like with uh um like the birthday thing basically and like that's a mm-hmm. decent place to start it off but that means that the the period of time of like for a mystery to gestate between harry doing a magical thing with the glass and like Hagrid appearing to him five minutes later and saying did you ever do anything you couldn't explain like we <laughs> we, get, we get exactly one thing he couldn't explain in this movie like like it is very uh I would say that this is a very efficient script yes I, I would say so I think that it was um you know nothing added nothing changed just it just cuts out the stuff that it decided it didn't need which which it turns out it doesn't think it needs character development or atmosphere or tone or anything really uh because yeah we 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 go from the dursleys to diagon alley in like the span of 10 minutes i think um and like there, there are so many good things i wanted to linger on a bit more like all those owls are so good in the in the dursleys <laughs> There's so many like owls outside delivering the letters and it's like all real owls and stuff. And it's like, oh, this is this is really charming. Um, All the stuff with the letters is great. But then like once they get to Diagon Alley and like the like Sorcerer's Stone plot really gets moving. Here's my problem. And I don't know if this is something you picked up on or would agree with. Like Harry isn't a character in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> i yeah i i was gonna say something to that effect because when you add nothing which they didn't i don't think like they added nothing that makes harry a character because everything that makes harry a character in the books is um 
is there because we know what he's thinking right it's the internal the internal monologue and stuff and like the thoughts and the he is the point of view character and like he is still technically the point of view character in this movie but like we get nothing in terms of like what he's feeling or (laughs) yeah um so and that i think is like maybe the root of the problem with this like film franchise because we've talked before about how like the movies sort of like crush ron and hermione's characters down a lot that's Mm -hmm. almost necessary here because harry so harry is not a character and so ron and hermione basically have to be like the angel and devil on his shoulder like Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the vibe i get from this movie um which it's it's difficult to talk around because i actually think that all of the kids did a great job they're not yeah bad they really actors. did like they have chemistry they're not bad actors uh but i feel like they're working with just this like very workmanlike and literal script um and so they don't really get a ch- excuse me they don't really get a chance to like do much and like uh, um it's it's sad i guess to to watch th- this and go like ah like this is so close to being perfect you know like these are good these are good actor choices these are these characters have great chemistry together but the things they have to say to each other are all plot related at no point do the characters just get to like be the characters which is like in our reading i think both for both of us all of our favorite parts of the book are just the, the the moments where the characters just get to bounce off each other for a little bit. Like that's the midnight duel. That's the mirror of Era said that's um, uh, like anything to do with uh, the, the stuff, the mystery of the mm-hmm. book when they're all discussing the mystery, like all that stuff is great. And all that stuff is gone in this movie. Yeah. I definitely feel like Harry got morphed into just the default boy protagonist character mm-hmm. um, that felt like pretty, like, I guess like Hollywood to me. Um yeah. And and yeah, it it's all like you said, like plot stuff. And um I think I think saying that Hermione and Ron were like the angel and the devil on his shoulder is a really good way to put it. Um, because every everything they say like serves the plot moving forward in a really weird way. And we and we did watch some like deleted scenes, um and, and what they cut from the movie were character moments. Yeah, like I I usually when it comes to movies unless it's a very very specific movie that like earns its length I always 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 advocate like just brutal cutting you know like movies should be short uh they should be efficient uh and they should get to the important stuff when to me and like yes to me important stuff is character development etc etc but like we watch these deleted scenes. This movie is three hours long almost, but, (laughs) but I would honestly say all of those scenes should be in the movie. Every single one. It's like, you get more Dursley scenes, you get more um, character development moments with Harry and Ron. Like they're, they, they, the movie cuts out like the most crucial part of the mirror of Erised subplot, which is that, after seeing it once, Ron gets bad vibes and like tries to get Harry to stop seeing it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there's a great deleted scene where like they're at the like the Christmas dinner for the kids who stayed behind, and like Harry is really depressed and like sitting away from everyone, and Ron goes and talks to him. 
great scene should have been in the movie crucial to like the emotional core of the story i think on like defining their friendship and they just took it out because i guess it didn't directly move the plot forward i i will also say that they could have cut out i think could have cut neville from the movie completely and i don't know if this is like a case of neville was important later on so it has to be in there but his um he shouldn't he shouldn't have been in the movie if if they weren't if they weren't going to give us character moments and if they weren't going to give us neville doing anything before he stands up to ron and harry and hermione at the end it just shouldn't have been there yeah and that's another deleted scene there's another good neville scene um with them like helping him or like he well like he like jumps in with his legs locked or whatever and they're like talking about the counter curse and everything and like ron gives him a little pep talk like that's another scene that got cut and so neville exists in this movie to lose his toad once at the beginning uh to do to, to like fly in the air and drop the remembrall and that gorgeous cg by the way cgi mm-hmm. in this movie Wow, ooh, it's bad. Um, uh, so the wonderful CGI sequence of him flying his broom and like falling off of it and dropping the remember all. Um, and then he disappears for the whole movie until he comes back to try and stop them from sneaking out. Like, completely useless character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cut that. I, I don't, um, or at least just cut that last part. Like, I get the remember all things probably important for like other reasons to get Harry on the Quidditch team, but like the standing up to uh to Harry and Hermione and Ron thing makes no sense because because we have like no like understanding of their relationship, it just makes him look like a dweeb and makes <laughs> them look like bullies. Like, like it doesn't. There's no conflict there outside of like the very direct conflict of like he wants them to stop going out. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything for any of their characters. Yeah. um, Actually, you saying that they look like bullies brings me back to, I think, our first or second episode um, when we were talking about uh, Hermione's relationship to Mm. the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you said like I'm like you were worried that they were just going to be bullies to her. And I am pretty sure that's just because of this movie. Totally. Um, the way, and, and I understand their choice to change kind of the nature of Hermione's relationship to Harry and Ron, because the way it works in the book doesn't work in a movie, right? We get a um, like narrative, uh, little piece at the end of a chapter where it says you know you can't fight a troll and not be friends with someone afterward that works in a book um doesn't work in a movie so the way that they dealt with that is that they had hermione basically be their friend before the troll incident yeah Uh, it's so like they they openly (laughs) talk about like the nicholas flamel thing before halloween right and like she's just there and like that it's either that like she's their friend and like we never really see a scene of her becoming their friend or she's like a weird hanger on 
And like, I don't, I don't quite understand what they were going for with that. Yeah, but it sure makes Harry and Ron seem way meaner to her. Totally. um, Because they, they do, they lift the plot point of Ron saying that really mean thing about her um, from the book, like word for word, except in the book, uh, they are having like an extended fight with her. Like they are arguing with her and they're mad at her and they're, they're always kind of snipping at each other. Um, and so in the book, like, yeah, you do feel bad for, for Hermione in that moment. Like it's, it sucks. Um, but it's, it's much more, uh, feels like kid stuff and feels a little bit more mutual. Whereas in the movie, it's, it just seems like they're already friends and him, he's saying something mean about his friend. Well, and there's the crucial detail in the book events where, it it says that you know he, Ron said this, but like was immediately regretting it as he was saying it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, like kind of a guilty sort of. Yeah, and like the movie, he's it just seems because like Seamus is there too or something, so it just comes off as like boy talk or something, like like mm-hmm. they're just like bullshitting about this girl they hate, and so it feels way meaner. Like I don't know, there's there's yeah. a lot less pathos like in like. You know, you can you feel that Ron is upset with her, but you also can tell that he has a conscience and like does empathize with her in some sense. Like that's just gone in the movie. He's just being an asshole. Like it's 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 a bummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie like it's one of these things where I can complain about a lot of the details of this movie forever because it's it's not. It is it is the definition of like a well-made bad movie is is almost you, you know like it is mm-hmm. it is a movie that is spit shined to like an unbelievable polish like it is a it it aside from some of the cgi which um, <laughs> but like it is a great looking movie it is a very fast-paced movie um it doesn't have any glaring like mechanical script issues it is a like completely airtight film it's just that like the emotional core of it and also how it relates to the books just feels completely creatively bankrupt to me is kind of where i'm sitting with it like they they made a they they sure made a harry potter movie it takes zero risks uh it 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 just takes the the events that happen on the page and translates them visually. And that's like the most it does. And I guess that's the most some people want probably, but like it just like as a, as a film experience as like an emotional story, it does nothing for me, you know? Yeah. I, we kind of have this running joke uh, between the two of us. Cause we, you know, spend a lot of time uh, reading what, you know, we have our, finger to the pulse of the harry potter fans as it were um and there is often a common refrain when it comes to talking about the movies especially and it's how loyal they are to the books like how how much is this you know how much is this movie like the book and i would i would rank this as extremely loyal to the book right like it is extremely what happens in the book um i always it's it's weird to me when like dialogue is just lifted directly it sounds so weird but it is 
it is extremely the book and yet it is missing something. It sure, um, I would say traded in some of the like sinister tone of the book that I think is like really enjoyable and traded it in for like Hollywood corniness. Yeah, it has not. And like, that's why I like, I was bummed when I saw that like Terry Gilliam was up for the directing position at one point, because I feel like that's him. Like that's his, his wheelhouse. He did like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Brazil or anything. He, he does very good, like comedic, but sinister, like British film stuff. Mm. Um, he has a good like feel for like dark humor which like the book has tons of dark humor and like kind of creepy crawly like just like weirdness that the movie the movie is not weird at all that i think that's maybe if there was like one thing i could say is like an actual aesthetic flaw with this movie like you know because obviously it's all filmed on location and stuff and like Mm -hmm. the costumes are good etc but it the magical world feels just kind of like normal and bureaucratic like yep it's just a, it's just a school it's a normal boarding school where they happen to sometimes do magic like there's no and like like harry kind of loses his like fish out of water sense as a character too because it, it's just like he's there and like immediately just like accepts this world as it is presented to him and it's just kind of like boring i guess like there's no there's nothing surprising about the magic or like the 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 world in this like it's just like yeah we're on a we're on a hill in scotland and that's about it yep i yeah i think so i um i think that like a good example of that is when they're in diagon alley and there's that that really funny like um the nimbus 2000 scene oh my god it's like there there are kids and they're hanging out in front of a store window is like Harry's walking by. And I understand the like feeling this is supposed to evoke in us, but there's this shot of the Nimbus 2000 and it shows like the broom handle and the kids go, whoa, that's a Nimbus 2000. It's the fastest, best broom in the world. And then the like <laughs> camera focuses in on the like, nimbus 2000 like the words on the broom handle it's like oh i bet that's going to be important later um but there's just like there's no sense of magic in that to me when i look at the broom and i look at that like prop design and that like super corny like scene it's just like you know it it doesn't feel it's just very kids admiring a product like, yeah, that's, yeah. like there's no whimsy here it's the same as if you like saw a movie and a kid's like wow that's the ferrari testarossa it's an 850 <laughs> horsepower car that can go zero to 60 in one second it costs five hundred thousand dollars wish i could drive one like it's just so <laughs> so fucking dry like have some fun with it i don't know especially because when when they do get the broom later in the movie uh when hedwig drops it off ron basically says the same shit again he goes course not any broom it's a nimbus 2000 it's the fastest broom in the market it's just like oh my god i guess we got some nimbus heads here like yep yep yeah it's, it's just not um it does it doesn't feel 
like anything. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is it is entertaining in the sense that like the plot moves fast and it looks nice. It doesn't necessarily look how it should. I feel that like it looks well made. Uh-huh. And like I here's my thing and this might be like way off base but so jk rowling demanded that the film be an all british cast and like on location british sets right Uh which i good for you know good for her like stick to your guns have the movie be made the way you you wrote it that's fine um what feels weird is to demand all that and then hire a very american director like yes i don't know if this is a vibe you picked up on but the movie doesn't feel all that british i i I can't i have a hard time describing this the movie the things the movie is excited about showing you about like british stuff is just completely feels from like the kind of thing that an american director would get excited about like the train station (laughs) Uh, like the shots of london or like you know all the shots of the castle like this just feels like very much like an american director putting these like very normal british things like on a pedestal like the movie does not i would say the only part of that movie that comes close to like feeling authentically british is a deleted scene where they're on the, the tube uh and like there's that lady staring at Hagrid and it's all grimy <laughs> and shitty and like they're just having a weird conversation on the train like that to me is like okay yes this feels like something from like a british movie you know the rest yeah. of it is like the, the the movie has like this this like charm or like the the idea of charm that it has is like isn't it cool that all these actors are british like let's or like this castle is british or that we're in this british cathedral like it just doesn't doesn't feel authentic it feels it feels so much like an american guy came in and directed this which is true like what i don't know like that's a weird thing to notice but like it just doesn't feel right to me from that from that perspective yeah i mean that's an interesting observation i i probably wouldn't have picked up on that um both because I don't watch a lot of movies, British or otherwise. Um, but yeah, I, I can see that. I'm surprised we didn't get like a, did we get like a wide shot of Big Ben? I, th- yes, I think there, I think there is <laughs> an establishing shot of London that includes that. It's just, it is, it is so excited about things that are completely normal, you know, um, which which honestly makes the whole like real world magical world stuff that much weirder like yeah you know like it doesn't feel doesn't feel lived in doesn't feel like it's made by someone who like understands what the commentary in the books was about i guess um yeah so that's that's weird i will say like like to be nice say something nice about it I do think that the costume design is great uh, for what it is. I think that it is certainly a well shot movie, even if it's not particularly like experimental or anything like it's certainly like efficiently made. And I do think that the music is actually fantastic. Yeah, the music is great. Um, 
I, I, I do really like the music. Um, I do want to talk about the costume design a little bit. Go for uh, it. Because Snape is a fashion icon in this oh movie. Oh my god. It is driving me wild. I I couldn't believe it. There's the scene <laughs> during the Quidditch match where they think Snape is, you know, jinxing the broom and Hermione goes and sets his robe on fire. And there's a shot of his feet and he has he has covered buttons on his pants. Uh-huh. I can't believe it. And then the buttons that go all the way up his sleeve and I it's like it's pristine, incredible. His pristine robe and like uh he's got those like nice Italian loafer looking shoes. Mm. Uh, yeah snape snape is that's the good stuff mm, handsome handsome snape in this movie uh alan rickman okay this is here's the thing i everyone points out that alan rickman was too old to play snape valid except a he does a fantastic job like like, Mm -hmm. uh, credit where credit is due again the casting is amazing i think alan rickman is particularly fantastic in this movie um but like if you're going to complain about characters being too old Holy shit, Harry's parents look like 45 in this, which yeah. makes no sense at all. Um yeah, when they when they get to the mirror of Erised and they you see Harry's parents, like <laughs> JK's obsession with characters getting married immediately out of high school and like <laughs> like it really did not work here because his parents are old we're not you know not old but they're you know they're not 21 which is what they were when they died in the books uh 20 20 20 yeah they're 20 that's so fucking wild to me um <laughs> uh and like so snape would have been like 31 or something in this in this like around that age yeah he was supposed to be in his 30s yeah alan rickman was in his 50s or 60s when these movies are being made so like too old but you know what he does such a fantastic job i don't really care yeah yeah i don't care at all um but yeah and and before anyone tries to say like oh maybe they're aged up in the mirror of erised because that's what the age that harry would imagine them as being well no because there's also a flashback sequence yeah. from what the night they died so that is like, not doesn't work which is this is more of a book thing but it just reveals to me like how weird jk's obsession with like family tree stuff and like character ages is because if they're if those people were 20 like even if they got actors who were 20 those were the fucking most boring 20 year olds on the planet like (laughs) like i mean this is this seems to be a world where like your ideal life is to like graduate from high school get married have a child at 20 and then go be a cop yes like that's that's like that's what everyone seems to do which is also doubly weird and i don't i i am pretty sure about this but i guess i don't know for sure is that wizards live a lot longer than muggles yeah dumbledore is like a hundred and twenty or something right yeah I, i just don't know what the rush is yeah 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 no kidding um uh yeah how old was mcgonagall when uh she was she wanted dougal and dougal well that was right after high school that's right. she, that's she right. was home for she was home for the summer uh before her like cop job uh that's right and that's when she met dougal yeah so. um but yeah like uh, so i would i would say alan rickman is the highlight of the movie 
like his mm. his uh I agree. the <laughs> the 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 what's what's a beeswar etc monologue is so <laughs> fucking good um uh then like this dumbledore is all right like i i prefer him to the i mean obviously they had to change because the guy died richard harris died like right after the second yeah. movie i think um mm-hmm. but i i do prefer him to the really weird cynical grumpy dumbledore they go with after this um he at least he at least captures some of like what makes Dumbledore's character acceptable to me, I guess. And the if like if we are to accept that Dumbledore is a good guy who has like planned out this magic child's life for him and like pulls the strings in the background and have that not be creepy and weird, like <laughs> he, he needs to be this level of like weird, whimsical, aloof guy, I guess. And then, like, yes. making him the more conniving, mean old man that he is in the later movies uh, just ruins that, I think. Yeah, I agree. Although I don't I don't have a great memory of, of the other movie. I, like, I've watched these movies a lot. Like, I have seen this first one many times. They used to play, uh, like, marathons of these movies on ABC Family that I oh. used to have on during the weekend. So I've seen this movie a lot. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, the... I mean, the book's tone shift also, um, yes. and the movie's tone shift, but it's very weird because I don't feel like the tone of this movie matched with the book. So I'm curious to see how that how they'll the, deal yeah. with the tone. Like this, this has none of the darkness of the first book at all. Um, yeah, it just cuts it cuts that out completely. Yeah, um, yeah. This is as squeaky clean and like nice as a movie can be. Really, I I think the only part at all that's remotely disturbing at all is like i i guess they see unicorn blood at one point and it looks like mercury i'm like that's i think that's the dirtiest the, the movie gets its hands at all like mm, i don't know about that i'm gonna i'm gonna call darkest moment being oh, when harry fucking murders quarrel oh god you, okay you, i take that back you're right because when quarrel so in the book he touches quarrel's face and then passes out right something like that yeah in the movie <laughs> in the movie he like grabs his face and they're both yelling and screaming and then <laughs> quirrell like stumbles around and then his face like falls apart like in the it's like he turns to dust and then his face falls apart like in like raiders of the lost ark or something it's insane hell yeah it's uh, but like i want more of that honestly like it, it it feels so out of place here because the rest of the movie is so like spit shine but like uh-huh. i wanted more creepy stuff you know because the movie is just not creepy at all yeah like in the book i would say that that scene is less less creepy but there's enough like background sinister stuff going on that it it all works for me and then in this movie that is just a very light and cheerful and like a kind of fun adventure style movie this scene where he like crumbles quarrel to dust is so weird it's really violent and then like he's just cool with it at the end like doesn't yeah doesn't... and then we go into the end scene which was changed a lot like we we talked about this because uh at the end of the book harry s- says like i'm gonna go fuck up dudley yeah. see ya <laughs> um and and in the movie they gave him this like really corny like 
you know, I'm not going home, not really. Um, and so it's like doubly funny because it's like squeaky clean movie. Harry destroys Coral in a horrible, horrific, you know, violent scene. And then <laughs> I'm not going home, not really. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I will say the one, <laughs> the one change I do like is I think that the line about um, uh, the Dursleys not knowing Harry can't do magic. I think that comes a lot better from Hagrid, which is how it happens in the movie. I agree. Because um, Harry saying that out of the blue in the first book is is insane to me. <laughs> uh, having Hagrid sort of say with like a wink and a nudge, like, hey, they don't know. Um, that I like a lot better. That feels more yeah, keeping. Fits- it fits Hagrid a lot because he's always, you know, bending rules and stuff. And, yeah, I, uh, gotta say, I like I like Hagrid a lot in this movie. Yeah, he's much more trustworthy, is what I would say. I, I'd say much more trustworthy. I think the fact that they don't have to bend their backs to do the stupid fucking Norbert stuff in this movie helps him a lot. Uh, they yes. they show Norbert once and then off screen just whisk him away, which is I think the best way to handle that nightmare plot scenario. I yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah. There's no no leaving your cloak at the top of the tower. So like for his uh, you know loyalty to this to the book to the source material at an all time high, but uh, not uh, I guess not completely. Um, you know some things are just bad enough that you you gotta change them yeah like the norbert chapter i like the norbert chapter which is just the worst don't let's not get started on the norbert chapter (laughs) (laughs) okay um any any closing thoughts on this movie before we take a break and talk about the special features i'm i'm just still thinking about um the buttons that snape has so snape. that's that's my closing thoughts that's that's hey would you call that a hot button issue i would oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the the quidditch was fucking atrocious that was that was that i think that's the i didn't put that in here but i just gotta say the effects in this movie are bad uh and quidditch is bad so making an entire effects driven scene about quidditch uh just the worst at one point actually yeah i i think that the worst scene in the movie is um the bad effects when neville breaks his wrist like as he oh my god like that comedy relief scene where he kicks off during the quidditch lesson and he bounces around and like falls from like two stories and gets his like robe hooked on the full cgi neville in this movie is one of the funniest things i've seen in my life like it is so (laughs) for something that is completely unnecessary they did not need to make this sequence at all like this is one of those things where like effects work is hard and sometimes i don't like ripping on bad cgi because it's just being mean about some people's very hard work but let's be real this was a thing that was like put in the movie that was completely unnecessary they made this difficult for themselves by saying sure let's just have a full cgi character in 2001 uh do this like weird ragdoll sequence with neville and it looks so weird terrible i hate it and it shouldn't have been in there at all because it's just like it i when they do more with a scene like that it just takes any impact away from it to see him bouncing around 
Yeah, I hated it. It was just that that's that's the part you remember, like, oh, this is a blockbuster movie and they they want to just cram in a bunch of action scenes. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so, you know, we ripped a lot on it, but it's just one of those things where it's not bad. Like it is a it is it was less of a chore to watch than i was expecting like it certainly moves along at like a pleasant clip it's just it's one of those things that kind of like i guess it's almost like it washed over me and i didn't really notice all these problems until thinking about it later you know yeah it's polished it was fine fine. capital f fine 10 out of 10 for loyalty yep absolutely all right so but that's not all we watched so i guess now is a good time to take a break and then we will come back with some little uh, little Chris Columbus action for you. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, I think we talked a little bit at the beginning of this episode about the the Harry Potter craze. Uh, people were wild about Harry in <laughs> 2001. Uh, and I guess at this time, there were a lot of, uh, you know, I guess specials that wanted to address like why people loved Harry Potter so much. Uh, so we, we decided to go into a, a time capsule and kind of discover what it was like in 2001 when the world was trying to, you know, figure out why people were really interested in Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. and the first thing we watched was a Dateline special hosted by Katie Couric. <laughs> uh, and it was about the release of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone um and this was really something and we watched it on youtube so anyone uh that wants to to check this out uh can go and do that although i wouldn't recommend it because it's absolutely painful to watch it is a it is a train wreck like from top to bottom it is first of all like i know katie Kurt kind of has a reputation i feel you know just for like not wanting to be there in general but like this is like peak Katie Couric not wanting to do her assignment. It feels like to me, um, like the first five minutes of it, it are her running around uh, King's Cross in London, and like the the opening narration first of all is her saying like, "Normally, I would take any excuse to go to London, but for <laughs> Harry Potter, I don't know the first thing about it." Like, like just this really weird, or she calls it like a boondoggle as well like in in the intro like well i wanted to go on vacation to london i don't give a fuck about harry potter so i guess i did anyway um so like really good start I mean, she's like running around this train station like putting her microphone in like uninterested commuters faces asking about harry potter at one point she takes a guy's phone and like tells the guy on the other end to hang up because she's katie couric uh <laughs> Which I'm sure was like a rehearsed bit or something, but it's still just awful. Then there's a very not rehearsed bit where there's like a couple making out and she like sticks her her, her microphone in there and asks where platform nine and three quarters is. And I just wanted to die. Like, oh, my God. 
it's very difficult to watch. I got a lot of secondhand embarrassment watching this. Um, it's it's bizarre to me that at this time the Harry Potter movie was coming out, and that for this angle they decided to go with like this uh, this very like well kids kids sure suck nowadays always you know playing their video games and you know watching tv uh but they sure are reading harry potter for some reason let's figure out why yeah and it's it's so weird because it's like i would say that like the the overall like the the defining emotion of this whole thing is like disdain but she has disdain for everything it's like disdain for kids today disdain for uh for harry potter disdain for the actors disdain for the director it's so weird like she's so mad i i don't quite understand what what she's going for here like so we start with her running around king's cross um (laughs) then she like runs into that kid wearing the harry potter shirt that like starts rambling about the book right sure and like they fade him out as she's going like harry potter may contain words like hagrid hufflepuff voldemort like just like all proper names katie yeah Yeah, they're all (laughs) character names um and like she hasn't read the books and so she then goes like but i got an invitation to go to hogwarts the first muggle to ever go and like so that's the premise right she's gonna take the train she's gonna go to the the film set and she's gonna meet the cast and crew that's the premise but before we fucking get there we have to go through this excruciating human interest story about a kid with leukemia who also read harry potter one time like this is peak bad daytime tv shit uh and it's it's like you kept on asking like like is is tv still like this and i think it is i think this is like what tv has always been like at least like during the day is just these really obnoxious uh magazine shows and this like like this is clearly aimed at like you know people with kids reading harry potter i think that was kind of the vibe that they were going for here like how are you going to understand this thing your kid and his friends you know their friends are all into but i feel like there's a better way to do that than just to like drag this kid with cancer on screen for 20 minutes you know yeah um well i hate to break this to you about daytime tv because i do agree that daytime tv is trash but this was dateline which means it aired at like 9 p.m oh you're right no you're totally (laughs) right this yeah dateline fuck yeah this this is like this is like nine o'clock like channel five kind of kind of thing oh that's even worse really god it's just it's just such trash like i just watched this i'm like this is trash i i and I, what I want to know is like, did Katie, like, I understand the angle that they wanted to go for, which is that like, oh, my kids are reading Harry Potter. What's that about? So it's almost like that premise necessitated Katie Couric not knowing anything about Harry Potter. But on on the one hand, it's like, okay, if that's the angle you want to go for, fine. Um, the book like if i was a was a journalist it's just not that hard to read the book it is not that long 
Oh, like, especially because she opens the whole piece, like, joking about it being a boondoggle for her to go to London on vacation. Like, I guess that's sort of like, like, there's a certain point of, like, tenure in TV where, like, you're just unstoppable and you can say and do whatever you want because she's just like, yeah, I just went to London for no fucking reason. I haven't read the books. I hate this. I hate everyone here. I'm going to, I'm going to go hang out and get drunk and and spend a week in london i guess we'll film this fucking thing like that's that's really <laughs> the vibe it gets yeah i and i i think it's like doubly weird because i'm imagining like i don't know who the higher-ups would be that would go to her and be like okay you're doing a doing a story about harry potter don't read it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, could, like uh, this is the angle do, we're going for could you do as little work as possible katie please yeah she didn't seem too hard to convince um and i think the other weird thing about this angle is that and you can tell me if you didn't get this vibe at the time but i thought like a huge part of harry potter and the harry potter craze is that it was like kids love it but adults also like it yeah I think that was totally it, I thought. like It's for everyone. Was, yeah, that's why it was so fucking huge, is because it was appealing to everyone, not just kids. And that and that was kind of like... Uh, I, I, like I'm not going to say that, that Harry Potter was like the first book ever that like adults and kids also liked, but it did kind of like blur that line. And it was like, oh, it likes like store like good stories kind of transcend are just good and transcend that like kids or adults boundary imagine imagine this being made about star wars which i think is like <laughs> the most comparable thing like because star wars is is something that is i would say a if if not a kid's story something that is entirely appropriate for kids like it is it is something <laughs> that kids love adults love it too it's just for a wide 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 audience and like imagine this thing like like today being made today about like kylo ren luke <laughs> skywalker and it's set in space like 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 that's really the vibe this thing has like yeah i feel like harry potter was already pretty much a household name by this point like even though this was the the movie was really what kicked it off into overdrive i feel like even at the time this would have been a really weird dopey out of touch presentation yes i i think that's definitely true i um i think katie Couric should do a star wars special and then she can <laughs> she can be like like and next i talked to a raylo shipper what's that <laughs> oh my god she totally should and like fuck what uh, star wars is filmed in wait no star wars is mostly filmed in like britain as well so she could go to i could go to london and and see do the star wars shoot perfect like <laughs> uh yeah that's what she likes that's what katie likes to do as we learn but uh so after the excruciating human interest story she finally gets like to hogwarts quote unquote which means that she gets to the film set to the mm -hmm. studio so she starts by talking to ron Yes. who is just wonderful rupert grint <laughs> is so good uh, in this in this thing he's charming he's like really like he's he's very nice to katie Couric in like a way <laughs> i feel like she doesn't deserve because she's being fucking awful like 
when they're in the room with all the props like she starts touching them and then goes oh can i touch these like while she's touching them and like the kids are just laughing but it just feels like like i would not know what to do as a kid in that situation if like like an adult was being shitty around me you know like (laughs) like he handles it so well um and like he has his pet he has the the rat that plays scabbers there which is cute and like adorable she's, she's like pointing and yelling about the rat and um yeah that's that's all weird and then she asks can i speak to the big guy which i think she means is harry like there's there's like a horrible narration like over the top of it where it's like i i hated the framing of this because it's like gotta be friends with ron to get access to the big guy the main man of the movie and it's it's daniel radcliffe and it's just it's so weird uh daniel doesn't have much to say uh i don't think i don't think they interviewed him for very long um this had to be made on like one of those days where like 50 journalists came to talk to them or something that's kind of the vibe i got yeah like like this was press day because they also they had that very cute thing where they had hedwig fly in and land next to him (laughs) during the interview which feels like something they must have practiced a lot um it's very it's very cute uh we didn't really talk much about Hedwig in our movie discussion. I, just as an aside here, Hedwig is the best part of that movie. Oh yeah, all the all the Hedwig stuff except for the part where they um, oh there's oh. like that there's a transition scene. It's like the it's winter time or springtime scene, and um, it like carries out in a like outdoor courtyard, and um, Hedwig like flies in and and lands on his arm, and it's it's a real owl, um, and then she takes off. <laughs> and she morphs halfway through into a CG owl that like does these like sweeping, you know, it's movements so... across the screen that obviously they couldn't do with a real owl. But I'm sorry, you had a real owl there. Just just I, I would take like worse. It's not even worse. Like, I just don't I just don't need those like complicated shots, choreographed like... yeah. shots of a CG owl. I would take less choreographed shots of a real owl. Yeah. Um yeah anyway so they have Hedwig fly in that's adorable mm-hmm. um but yeah Daniel Radcliffe doesn't really say much he's he's very humble like I think that's a, that's going to be a running thing as we watch these documentaries is that uh for for as big and wild and and famous as the Harry Potter movies got like credit where credit is due really seems like Daniel Radcliffe kind of has his head screwed on right like as a kid in these like yeah like it's it's cute to hear him talk about like how he still feels like a normal 11 year old it's just that he goes to school on set and stuff like he 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 seems nice in this which is which is cute so katie Couric doesn't really get to like i this description might sound a little mean but like she doesn't really like get to like get her claws in him really in this she she i think like, out of all of the people she interviews she like fucks with him the least um yeah it's also really funny because he's in this like huge chair and he's wearing his i mean he's he's 11 and he's like wearing his like wizard robes and it just looks like he's like on a throne yeah <laughs> he's, like he's, the boy king of harry potter yeah i like i wonder who who chose that for him because he just seems very nice and humble and like yeah i'm harry potter like just normal kid um, yeah there was like there was a part where she was asking him about getting the part and like how excited he was and he kind of explains this just adorable story about how his parents like 
you know, were kind of a little, like, I, I can't really remember the point of the story. Like maybe they were like keeping it from him a little bit or like, or not telling him like every little part of the audition um, thing. And, and he says like, it's like, because I, I get really, I have a tendency of getting really disappointed and it's just, <laughs> it's just, it was very cute. Yeah. He, he, that part was blessed. And like, he, he didn't really give her anything to work with as far as her like weird zingers went. Um, <laughs> I feel like she had to have hated uh, Emma Watson because like, she has the shortest part in this. Like she basically asks Emma Watson, like, do you, do you like Hermione or like, do you feel like Hermione and Emma Watson's like, this is also really funny and blessed with, which is like in the most Hermione ass voice possible. She like goes like, Oh, I'm nothing like Hermione. It's, it's <laughs> so funny. She's like, I like, I am nothing like Hermione. I hate her. And it's yeah, like, she goes through like this list of, she's like, I like to be outdoors. Hermione likes to be indoors. Hermione likes to read. I like to play sports. Like it's, it's very cute. Yeah. It's like, like in this, like incredibly Hermione ass fashion, explaining why this is completely wrong. Like it's very, yeah, <laughs> uh, that was, I, I really like that, but I feel like, maybe maybe there's like a duel of minds we didn't get to see there because <laughs> because like katie just like whooshes away from that one she doesn't stick around to like push emma watson on any of this was she even like i am i wrong but or was it just like a just a like interview she, like i don't think katie was there uh, with her or was she i, I don't i i think she was i think because i i feel like it cuts to like katie smiling and nodding a bunch but maybe it was just like pieced together out of other footage i might um, be getting confused because we also watched like parts of a a different the like e news entertainment yeah. one so i might be confusing it with that yeah um yeah so <laughs> so like the kids the kids come off well here uh but then we get to <laughs> chris columbus who we'll get we have a lot of chris columbus material to cover here because i so i had never seen him before i'd never like watched an interview with him he is not what i expected at all uh and he says like like first of all like maybe it's because like she didn't get anything juicy out of the the actor interviews she comes for him knives out like first question is like what are you gonna do if this bombs uh second question um uh if it's if harry potter is good because it's getting kids to read why ruin it by making a movie like i hated that question i'm like i think that and i think that they used that question in like the tease like the little teaser at the beginning too it was like this is the hard-hitting question i'm gonna ask chris columbus and it's i uh, (laughs) the the funny thing about that question is that it's so stupid. I don't think it has any merit whatsoever. It's a question you should reject, honestly. Like, yeah, like, like I reject the premise of this question. Um, but Chris Columbus also just had the dumbest answer. He really did. He's like, he's like, uh, well, that's like saying uh, you, you shouldn't make a movie out of any book. And it's like, yeah, that's what the question is. That's what the question is. And it's stupid, but I. Uh, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> um so he he is the most hollywood movie guy 
I've ever seen. Like, I like it's one of these weird things where like, you know, just through like other shows and movies and stuff like you kind of have like the picture of like the douchey Hollywood guy. But you've it's I'd always been hard pressed to put that to a specific face you know like to me that always just represented like hollywood in general and not like any specific person now i feel like it's maybe all of those jokes on the simpsons or whatever like or like and you know name any comedy with like a hollywood guy character maybe like they saw interviews for mrs doubtfire or home alone or something because holy shit chris columbus is just that guy it is so funny yeah, um, um, just like Peeves is the spirit of teens in Hogwarts, Chris yeah. Columbus is like the he is the coalesced spirit of Hollywood in one he, skeezy guy. He is so weird. Like, so f- like we'll get into his like weird J.K. Rowling relationship in the other features we watched. In this one, he's like talking about how uh great he, how great it is to work with kids and like so yay the kids they got great chemistry together uh i saw i saw daniel radcliffe in all of a twist and i was like hey i want that kid um and th- then his parents they didn't want him to be harry potter but then i went and talked to him and said like hey he's gonna be fine i know so and so and then they eventually <laughs> agreed and i'm like thinking like okay but the last like big child star you worked with was Macaulay Culkin. And I, I and to be fair, uh, Katie Kirk does bring this up. It's like, like, didn't, you know, didn't you work with, uh, with, with Macaulay Culkin? And like, do you feel any responsibility for that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, no, not really. And, uh, yeah, Harry, Harry, Daniel Rockclough, he was going to be fine. Um, so that was weird. Maybe the worst thing he says, oh, God, which to me, I, could you imagine this happening today like like in a in an interview like this this put this put me in a time warp to 2001 like i think like of everything that we have watched and you know like this moment between katie couric and chris columbus is the most like i'm in 2001 right now so she asks him like you know what are you basically what are you going to do to um you know make sure that these these kids are you know handle filming these movies well and his response is well you know i don't want uh i want to make sure michael jackson isn't calling daniel ratcliffe over on the weekends because that's just not what life is about and it's like what the fuck (laughs) what did you just say holy shit dude yeah like again imagine that joke being made in a thing yeah. today like i feel like just information travel you know travels fast enough now that like would that that that's just a just on its face to be clear a really fucked up joke to make but like just the fact that it was like left in this like dateline piece is like just a like i think katie kirk like laughs at this too like they, oh, she yeah. doesn't she doesn't like say excuse me what the fuck are you talking about she just like laughs and moves on and it's like this is this is like you said this is a time warp to 2001 where like that was just like that's that's your crowd pleaser i guess yeah i i like super fucked up thing to say doesn't answer the question 
but it's just it's just a good old good old laugh just a just a big joke just a hoot. Um, just a yeah he's a very funny guy um so we we will that, that that'll be we'll put a pin in chris columbus for now we will return to him in a second <laughs> but after that katie Corrick goes and watches uh some exclusive new footage of the movie that hasn't come out yet which <laughs> which is the troll bathroom scene but with her narrating it and it's fucking amazing yeah and she's sitting in an empty theater like we get lots of lots of like long shots of her sitting there with like um like cartoon popcorn yeah <laughs> and it's like the troll like walks into the girl's bathroom and she's just like hey when you gotta go you gotta go like just like really lame jokes over the top of this like like bad early footage of the movie it's it's very funny because if if this like really was like first time seeing like exclusive footage i can imagine being like a kid at that time and like tuning in to watch specifically this yeah. and to imagine sitting there and having katie Corrick like narrate it for some reason well, she's just like be disappointing yeah like she just like mystery science theaters like the this like clip for a couple minutes like you can't hear anything in the clip and like it's uh i'll 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 clip some some audio from that and stick it in here because it is really funny um and then that's that she says she's learned all about hogwarts and she is the first muggle to travel to and from the magical just schlock just absolute trash it is it is trash uh, just start to finish i it's like i feel like this was made like ostensibly to be like help people that don't understand the harry potter craze to understand it more right um it does not do that it does not succeed in no. any in any way and it doesn't even like try to because I guess no. that's that's not the goal, right? Like this is just a, like, it's it's just trash. Yeah, I guess. it is. It's trash co marketing is what it is. Like, yeah. Um, but speaking of trash, we also <laughs> watched we also watched the special features that came with the uh, eight film collection that we that we bought for this these purposes, um, which included uh, another interview with chris columbus and the screenwriter which is a different kind of hollywood douchey which to me also just like when i said earlier that like chris columbus just feels like a mercenary filmmaker mm -hmm. this is where i get most of that vibe this entire thing is just him sucking up to jk rowling like <laughs> yep uh you know oh she's so she's so smart uh we had a connection you know right from from the get-go when i was telling you look i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ruin ruin your story i'm gonna and there's actually a really interesting point here when i read the thing about steven spielberg wanting to make the movies like condensed mm -hmm. uh there is there is a line in this in this special feature where he's like uh you know if you're gonna make harry potter you're not gonna you, you can't uh you're not gonna mush the books together and and you're just like oh like he's this is direct like like you just imagine oh, yeah. like, you just imagine like that's a direct like shot at, like clearly there is some discussion that they had been having about this and like was that how he won jk rowling over was like it's like hey that's steven spielberg guy yeah he's made some good movies but you know me i'm gonna make it loyal you know like i'm not gonna make it into you know put two books in one movie what the fuck like that just seems like so pointed and and weird to include there 
yeah he got like a he got a gold star for loyalty here i i think he even says like he got studio pressure or or there was studio pressure to do multiple books in one movie um yeah it's it's like it's a very weird line that i guess is interesting in retrospect yeah i i just can't imagine that being true or like maybe and maybe it is maybe it is the thing like before harry potter and lord of the rings they really wanted to condense this stuff but like i feel like at the point chris columbus would have been on the project i feel like all that stuff was probably said and done you know um and then the, the screenwriter has this like completely this feels so like again like he's the other kind of hilarious hollywood stereotype where he's the he's the very well-spoken uh screenwriter (laughs) um and you know i i told jk rowling that you know my favorite character was hermione uh and it's like fuck you dude like like you you, like you knew exactly what you were doing like like this is just this 15 minutes of them talking about like oh i love jk rowling so much and she's so smart and like we're gonna do the best with her thing like i feel like they almost filmed this before they made the movie sent it to jk rowling and this is how they got <laughs> like this is how they got this was their pitch video it's just like look if you if we let us make this movie we're gonna say all this nice stuff about you because like this is this entire feature yeah i think it was in this feature where it sure seemed like the most important thing uh they just they keep talking about how like their 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 biggest goal was that love like people who love the books would go to the theater and say this is exactly how i imagined it yeah i think Which, chris columbus a, said that like three times i'm like what a boring goal as a filmmaker <laughs> like you know i guess um, they succeeded sort yeah, of yeah mostly but there, there's yeah there is explicitly the line where he's like you know it's loyalty to the fans you got to give them what they want um and uh there is also the other thing that i loved which they are talking about how the, you know only we want a british and irish actors uh and we're gonna shoot on location in england and we went to this well, i can't remember which cathedral it was but he's talking about how like <laughs> uh, like oh we went to this cathedral and it was you know it was pretty nice but uh i feel you know it didn't have quite the right feel so we you know we we went back and we we made it in our in our sound stage and we i think we made it better and i'm just imagining chris columbus going to like this beautiful old church or something going like yeah a little fruity i guess but it'll work (laughs) like it's okay like like yeah he specifically says like oh we made it better like what like you made you made this like 400 year old building better okay um it's impressive yeah very impressive stuff That's some american ingenuity absolutely yeah yeah he yeah he brought the american dream to to harry potter here um <laughs> so that was a completely useless special feature that we watched um uh but we also got uh nothing there's nothing else on this disc and the disc lies we got it screwed said- over we got screwed over. It said we were going to get a, a guided tour of Hagrid's hut, which is not true. That is not on the Blu-ray. Uh, it is, I guess, a f- special feature from the two-disc version of the DVD, which we, f- we found on YouTube. It is hilarious. It has Jim Dale narrating while you walk through, you navigate with like the, the awful DVD menu controls, uh, like really weird fisheye lens footage of Hogwarts and Hagrid's hut. Yeah, I was really disappointed because I... I'm a big fan of like the 2001 era 
DVD menu games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so weird, and I feel like we missed out on kind of the full experience of trying to navigate through the like fisheye lens, like arrow button bullshit. <laughs> I really wish we had gotten to do that. It would have been hilarious. That's a real bummer, and I feel like feel like we got screwed over because it said that it was going to have that and it did not but th- there was uh there was the yearbook feature which <laughs> i yeah. don't understand the point of you pick a character and then it just plays all of their scenes cut together so we got to watch all of snape's parts again which i guess was good but yeah that was the best part for sure yeah you, it was like and it's like that very goofy like dvd menu um and it's like a book opens up and it has like well like I think that the like gimmick is that it's like moving pictures in a yearbook, right? Yeah. From Harry Potter and and it just like plays scenes from the movie you just watched at you. Yeah, or there's again, there's the Quidditch lesson from Oliver Wood, which is just the Quidditch no! Quidditch <laughs> explanation again. I can't tell you why they put that in there, but hey. Um yeah all that stuff was surreal and then the only feature in the fun and games section is it just gives you one scene that you can play in other languages and that's the joke fun and games that's fun and games here's what it sounds like like to be fair i do think that dubs of live action movies are pretty funny but it is (laughs) weird it is weird seeing that surfaced uh as like here's the special feature like sure i guess it is funny i don't know which i i i should look this up like i'm sure it's some famous anime voice actor playing hagrid and hearing them say fluffy is pretty funny but like yeah that was great yeah it's just like a weird feature like why is this here and not why are we not touring hagrid's hut while jim dale tells us not to touch anything yeah Uh, yeah it's like they got mixed up because that shouldn't have been under fun and games that was supposed to be our our tour that was supposed to be our tour we did find it on youtube it is out there chamber of secrets has an even better one which uh when we get to that i'm excited to talk about um because there's more snape content there yeah but yeah overall these special features kind of reveal nothing other than the fact that like 2001 was weird (laughs) like i think that's the other thing is 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 oh that was in the e documentary that too that we watched a little bit of the guy it was like some hollywood reporter guy going like yeah after 9 11 people weren't sure if anyone was gonna watch movies anymore like just Mm. (laughs) just really weird yeah um really weird stuff uh yeah chris columbus uh what a what a character he gets one more movie i hope we get some more content out of him um in the chamber of secrets features but after that i'm uh he i'm sad to say he he wanders off into the sunset and we don't get to hear him wax poetic about jk rowling anymore yeah it's too bad um he uh like i i guess he does he like you said he's a very mercenary director i i think but he has a kind of an interesting filmography in the context of this movie between like I guess Home Alone and did, did he direct Gremlins or like had a writing credit or something? He was a producer on like Gremlins Two or writer on Gremlins Two or something. Yeah, it's like it's, yeah, it's like it's like there's a mix. It's like he 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 has 
Mrs. Doubtfire under his belt, like big comedy. Uh, he has Home Alone under his belt, can work with kids. He worked on Gremlins, knows magic, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just like all of, like, I guess I haven't seen Mrs. Doubtfire, so I don't know if this fits the bill, but it's just like the family friendly adventure movie. Yeah. Oh, didn't he have a writing credit on The Goonies also? Mm, maybe. Maybe. That would maybe fit. So yeah, so he has like an ensemble kid movie under his belt too. Like it, it just it, everything about his selection as director just feels like he just had like the perfect resume for it and not any actual like insightful ideas. Just like this guy will make this movie out of these parts. Yes, and he sure did. He absolutely did. He did it two times. And yeah, I, I guess that's all I have to say about Chris Columbus for now yeah i think so i i I kind of enjoyed our um our time capsule into into 2001 yes yeah Um, that's 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 been the best part here is piecing together all this like it's just funny thinking about all this happening at once like the games and the movie and these like tv specials like at a point in someone's life like people our age like someone was probably waiting for the movie to come out watching that special and like playing the game boy game or like waiting for the game boy game you know like like Mm -hmm. existed in the same moment it's very strange to think about now yeah um and and it is kind of interesting from from our perspective uh doing this podcast because you know like at the time i would have been 11 years old which was always you know something parents were telling me like oh you're the same age as daniel radcliffe um (laughs) and as this like movie was coming out and was very much a part of the harry potter craze i i guess like um i i was obsessed with harry potter at this time and and was very much a part of it so it's it's been fun as we've uh been doing this and looking back and trying to uh see what what was there uh, to revisit and and look at this stuff from our our new our new perspective so i guess that's it we are now officially done with sorcerer's stone uh we've done the book we've done the movie so next i guess is chamber of secrets which chapters are we reading first we are reading chapters one and two and i don't actually have the chapter names with me but i'm sure people can probably figure that out people can work work out which the first two chapters are i'm sure yeah Yeah. i'm I'm excited uh i hear a dobby on the horizon yeah i do i i hear it on the wind i am (laughs) i'm very very excited um i i'm interested in this book i i feel like this one is actually like weirdly polarizing i feel like people love it or they hate it or they think it's boring (laughs) nearly 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 everything i've seen like in our like reddit research and stuff everyone ranks this like the lowest and i'm which means it's probably going to be the best right right like that's the because i mean our opinions are already like diverged a lot from the i guess like the mainstream fandom or whatever in terms of like how we feel about the ending etc but like um this is like we are now in like completely uncharted territory for me i remember maybe even less about this book than the first one because i think i only read Mm -hmm. this one the once um and like I think it was the audiobook I listened to least probably. Like mm. I, I think I, I think I am flying almost completely blind here with the second book. That'll be fun then. Yeah. So that'll be our, our next episode. But uh, you know, we always appreciate it if you are reading along with us. Um, 
But even if you are, I would encourage you to please read another book. Please read another book. 